Hey guys, thanks so much for joining us right here for the Active Church Podcast. We believe that you can tell a better story, and we are so glad you are engaging with our content today. You're about to hear from one of our incredible teaching pastors, and we hope that you'll be impacted by this message. Thanks again for being with us. Hey, got a question for you. Do you have a junk drawer? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, that drawer in your house that everything that doesn't have a place in your house goes. You know, like the batteries, the extra nail polish, the leftover screws from that project you were working on. You know that junk drawer? I've been married for a little over a year and a half now, and uh, I'm getting to the point where I have a junk drawer, and that junk drawer is kind of getting a little full. We've been in this place for a while, and my wife absolutely hates that junk drawer. And it's starting to get a little packed, but I love it. Anytime I don't know where something's going, anytime I don't know where to put something, or even when I've lost something, you know where I go? I look in the junk drawer. But as it's getting packed, I'm at a crossroads. Do I get another junk drawer? Or do I clean out the junk drawer I have? We've been walking through this series called A Rebuilding Year, where we've been looking at the story of Nehemiah. And as we've been talking about rebuilding, what we've said is let's look at the junk drawer in our life. Because we can just keep adding junk drawers, but what if we just spent time and actually dealt with the junk drawer? Actually took those things that we've been putting away, that we've been hiding away, that we've been trying to keep away from the public when people are coming home or coming over, and we actually handle those problems. Because the truth is, you and I both have problems in our life. And the issue is, is that we just keep charging it on a credit card and we're paying the bare minimum payments. But you and I both know that's not how we're supposed to live. When it comes to problems, when it comes to issues, when it comes to things that we need to walk through in life, we can't just keep stuffing it in the drawer and hoping it doesn't go away. No, we have to actually deal with it because we know that our past is going to be present in our future. Our past is going to be present in our future. And right now, which is the present, is going to be the past really soon. And so what we decide to do today is going to matter for our future. And so we've made the conscious decision as a church community that we are going to deal with the junk drawer. We're going to deal with the credit. We're going to deal with the problems that we've been wrestling through and having a hard time dealing with that we don't want to talk about, that we don't want to handle, because especially this past year, we've all had a hard time. We've had a hard time relationally, had a hard time with our health, our mental health, our thoughts, the way that we perceive the world. Some of us have lost things. Some of us have lost people. And if we just keep stuffing away the pain and we never deal with it, that junk drawer is going to get really full. And so we said, let's spend a time to rebuild. Let's spend a year, not just a moment, but let's spend a year rebuilding our life. Let's spend some time dealing with the things that we've put away. Let's heal. Let's work on our heart. Let's talk about decisions that are going to be with us today and tomorrow as we move into the future. But the issue is that when we talk about these problems, is it can weigh really heavy on our heart, like we haven't done enough. But also, we get distracted really easy, don't we? I don't know about you, but I'm a really distracted individual. Like, my mind doesn't always think in straight lines. I had a doctor ask me before if I've been diagnosed with ADD, and I said, I'm not really sure. (laughs) Because I don't know, my brain just doesn't think in straight patterns. It thinks in like circles and and bursts and sprints, and, and that's just how my mind works. But what I've always noticed about myself is that the thing I get distracted by is never as important as the thing I get distracted from. And we cannot spend our entire life putting healing on the back burner. I've been in ministry for eight years now. I've been in the church for 10. And can I just tell you that some of the deepest heartache I've seen, some of the biggest pains I've sat with, and some of the loudest cries I've heard have been because healing has been put on pause 
habits were known but not taken seriously and hurts of the heart were completely ignored. And you don't want to stay there. And I don't want you to stay there. And what I know is that we have a God who doesn't want you to stay there. So what does it actually look like for us to begin the process of rebuilding? Rebuilding our lives, rebuilding those problems, and beginning to tell a better story. Not moving on from those things, but becoming aware that we've put in the work to rebuild these things and rekindle these things and restore these things. Because that's what God wants to do in your life. And that's what God wants to do in our community. So we began to walk through the story of Nehemiah, and it really is the journal of Nehemiah. You see, Nehemiah was an ordinary man that had an extraordinary conviction placed on his life. An ordinary man with an extraordinary conviction placed on his life. And that extraordinary conviction was to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem wasn't just any ordinary city. Jerusalem was the city of his ancestors. And it was the city that the Israelite people understood their identity with God. If there was no Jerusalem, there was no God. But what had happened was, is that a nation, Persia, came in, completely took advantage and destroyed the Israelite people and enslaved many of them. And so Nehemiah was not just a man with a plan, but he was a man who was in exile and had no way to execute that plan. And so Nehemiah and many of his friends, as they watched Jerusalem fall, their faith also fell too. And they couldn't imagine God working because they didn't have the promise that God had put in front of them. And maybe that's you today, too. Maybe you can't imagine God working in your life and you've just stumbled upon church right now. Maybe a friend shared it or maybe somebody said, hey, just come check out Active Church. Whatever brought you here today, maybe faith is a struggle for you and you're not sure if you can even rebuild faith in your life today. That's where our Israelite friends were at. They didn't know if it was possible, so they never went about rebuilding the walls. But Nehemiah, he had this conviction that was placed in his life. He heard about what was happening in Jerusalem as he was far away, as he was in Persia. He heard that the walls had never been rebuilt. He heard that the gates had never been rebuilt. He heard that the city had never been rebuilt. He had a divine conviction placed in his life that I have to do something about it. And so last week, we learned that the first thing Nehemiah did, when he heard this, when he heard that the walls were still broken down, when he heard Jerusalem had not been rebuilt, and the people of God were living in disgrace, grace, the very first thing he did was to feel all the feels. He grieved. He wept. He felt that pain. Because the truth is, we all lost something. And we have to allow ourselves to feel all the feels when we're rebuilding something. Nehemiah prayed a prayer to God. He said, God, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening, but God, give me favor. Because the second thing we learned is he had to own the problem. Nehemiah owned that problem. We have to own the problems in our life. And the third thing is we learned that we have to give that over to God. God, who is the great comforter. Nehemiah felt the feels. He sat with it for days. And then he went to God and he said, I want to own the problem. He prayed a prayer that didn't excuse him from the problem, but it said, God, compel me to own this problem. If this is a problem you want me to step into, God, I want to step into this. I don't want this to be just thoughts and prayers. No, God, compel me to action. Give me favor. Give me opportunity. And that's where we left Nehemiah last. He was owning the problem and he was praying to God, God, help me rebuild if this is what you want. With a powerful prayer, he says, God, if this is the work you want me to do, help me do it. So what do we do now? Now that we know the problem, now we've felt the fills, now that we've owned the problem, what do we do? What we do is we make a plan and we work the plan. We make a plan and we work the plan. So today, what I want to do is I want to give you some principles from Nehemiah 
to help you begin to make a plan and work the plan as you think about the problems in your life. Maybe they're heartache problems, maybe they're relational problems, maybe they're economic problems, maybe they're problems that you've been sitting in for a while, maybe the problems of the past, maybe the problems with your relationship and you've never gone about dealing with them, you just put them in the junk drawer. Today, we're gonna pull those things out. We're gonna actually make a plan and work the plan. So if you got a phone, pull that phone out. Let's take some notes. If you got a notepad, maybe take some notes on this. I can't give you a plan, but what I can do is give you some principles. Nehemiah gives some really strong principles because Nehemiah didn't just say, God, this is a really good thing. Didn't just say, here's a prayer. He began to make a plan. He began to work out that plan. But in order for us to begin, I just want to revisit last week one more time. We talked about owning the problem. I had a good mentor friend of mine share with me once that the ability to differentiate between a legitimate concern and a personal responsibility is going to save a lot of energy and time and a lot of heartache. The ability to discern between a legitimate concern and a personal responsibility. What's a legitimate concern? A legitimate concern is anything we cannot control. There's a lot of things in our life that we can't control. Can't control who's the office all the time. We can't control the things that are going on in our world. We can't control foreign policy. You can't control your neighbor's lawn or what your neighbor decides to do with their lawn. What's a personal responsibility? That's your heart. That's your character. That's your home. That's your relationships. That's your lawn. So if your neighbor's lawn's a mess, what is that? It's a legitimate concern. If your lawn is a mess, that's a personal responsibility. And the ability to know what the difference between what one is and what the other is, it's really going to help us out as we understand what Nehemiah is doing today. So I want you to hold on to that idea, personal responsibility and legitimate concern, as we think about the problems in our life, as we dive into the story. What we're going to do is we're going to head into the throne room with Nehemiah as we head into chapter two of Nehemiah's journal. See, what's happening right now is that Nehemiah is in the throne room with the king of Persia, King Artaxerxes. And he is with him because he has this role that is so special, so unique. It's the cupbearer to the king. The cupbearer's role was to make sure he tastes the food, he drinks the wine before the king does so the king doesn't get spoiled or even poisoned. And so it's a really good job, especially if you're a Jew in exile, until it's not a really good job if you get what I'm putting down. And so this is where we are in the story. It begins, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I, Nehemiah, took the wine and gave it to the king. He's the cupbearer. But if I could just point out a quick detail, I don't want to pass by this verse. It's actually really important. It begins, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. In the month of Nisan, last week we talked about it being the month of Kislev. The month of Kislev, for those who don't know, in the Hebrew calendar, that was four months ago. That was four months ago between Kislev and Nisan. That is four months of time, four months between when Nehemiah began to pray this prayer, between when the conviction was placed in his life that he was supposed to do something to actually he had this moment before the king. Four months have passed. Four months. Check out what he says next. I had not been sad in his presence before. He had not been sad in the presence of the king before. And you know why? if there's one person on the planet that you don't want to be sad in front of, it's the king. The king doesn't need your deal. He doesn't need your personal responsibility. He doesn't need your stresses. Your job is to be the one there to help the king, to protect the king, to make sure the king's not drinking or eating anything bad. And here he is right now. He is sad before the king. He says he's never been sad before. There's nobody more that you don't want to be sad in front of. So the king asked him, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing 
but sadness of heart. He's not supposed to be sad in front of the king, yet he's so sad. He comes before the king and he's physically ill. He's physically showing signs. I think about little kids sometimes when they want you to know that they're sad or they're angry or they're upset. Maybe even know some adults who are like that, who want you to know they're sad, angry, or upset. I think this is more than that because he's not supposed to be sad in front of the king. I think his heart is just absolutely breaking at this point. It's been four months since anything's happened. It's been four months since he's prayed this prayer. I think he's at the point where he no longer can keep this inside of him. Question for you, what breaks your heart? What makes you physically react when you think about the problem? And let me ask you, is it a legitimate concern or is it a personal responsibility? You see, legitimate concerns are legitimate. They're things that you and I deeply care about. They're convictions that we have on our life. But the reason I need to ask you this is because your personal responsibilities are the things that you can control. And while these legitimate concerns may be things that you actually need to deal with or things that you should be a part of, let me tell you, I've seen many people neglect their personal responsibilities. The personal responsibilities in their home, personal responsibility in their life, personal responsibilities with things that are happening around them and in their world and in their homes. And so I ask you this because I believe that sometimes God is going to call us to take care of legitimate concerns. But the issue is, if God calls us to take care of a legitimate concern and our personal responsibilities aren't taken care of, I think there's going to be tension in both worlds. Maybe you've experienced this before. You see, Nehemiah is being placed in this position where this legitimate concern, the walls of Jerusalem were taken down, the city hasn't been repaired, and the people of God are still unsure of their future with God, and he's taking that as a personal responsibility. Legitimate concern is passing over into the realm of personal responsibility, and that's going to happen to some of us where legitimate concerns are going to become personal responsibilities. I think about Heidi Mayer, who is a part of Youth Hope in the city of Redlands, who absolutely loves homeless youth, who saw the problem, who saw the legitimate concern and said, this can no longer be a problem. I'm going to do something about it. And over time, God called her to take care of that problem and it birthed Youth Hope. I think about Mike and Lynn Yemen, who are part of the Niños de Baja Orphanage in Mexico. They were serving and going down to Mexico almost monthly because they just loved what was happening down there. They were supporting in a very tangible way. They were supporting in a physical way. They wanted to be present there. And then finally, God gave them the opportunity. He said, hey, this is not just a legitimate concern anymore. I want this to cross into the realm of personal responsibility. And now they're the U.S. directors down there. And they help teams like Active Church get connected to what God's doing down there. I think about those two individuals, those two families, and how legitimate concern is crossed into personal responsibilities. And here's the reason I share that with you, is because if God calls you to take on a legitimate concern, I want you to be postured, to be ready to move. And until you take care of your personal responsibilities, you're always going to move hindered. And let me tell you, I know God can call us and will have us whenever he wants to have us. But I think it's wise for us to set up God, to set ourselves up, to tackle those dreams that God puts on our life. And that's why Nehemiah's response is so telling of what four months can do. Can you imagine what those four months actually looked like? It actually kind of gives us an idea as we continue going into verse two. It says, I was very much afraid. The king asked him, what's wrong? Why are you sad? The sad boy energy, it's in my presence. What's going on? But I said to the king, May the king live forever. He threw some honor on that name. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? Why? Why should I be happy? This thing that's been in my heart is now bursting out. The king said to me, what is it you want? Do you know what you want? As you think about the problems in your life, do you know what you actually want? And are you sure? And if you aren't sure, 
let me give you this principle, is that we need, as we prepare for planning, as we prepare for the problems in our life, as we prepare to tackle them and, and begin the process of rebuilding, we need to have a vision of what could be. Not just address the problem. You see, it's easy to find a problem. I go on social media right now, I'm being bombarded and pummeled with problems all the time. Things I need to fix, things I need to see, things I need to know, things I need to talk about, things that I need to say all the time. I'm gonna be bombarded with problems. But the reality is, as you think about the problem that you're walking through, your personal responsibility, do you even know what the other side is supposed to look like? Do you know what healing looks like? Do you know what a healthy relationship looks like? Do you know what you want at the end of all of this? Problems are frustrating, but vision is inspiring. Vision helps us see beyond this. And when I say vision, when I say have a clear vision of what you want, I'm not just talking about like, oh, I got these things in my head. No, what a vision is, is a clear mental picture of what could be fueled by a conviction of what should be. A clear mental picture of what could be fueled by a conviction of what should be. You see, Nehemiah had this because he spent four months thinking, planning, praying, and he knew, he saw, he knew the problem, but he also knew what he wanted. And this is what we see as we continue. Then I prayed to God of heaven. I love it. He pauses, prays to God one more time. He's been praying for four months. It's not just a one time, boom, dump. He's been praying for four months. And then he answered the king after his prayer. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. What do you want? I want to rebuild. I want to rebuild this. What do you want? What do you see happening? What do you want for your relationship? You can address the problem all day. You can say, I want the problem to be over. But no, what do you want? What do you want from your marriage? What do you want it to look like? What do you want from your relationships? What do you want them to look like? What do you want in your finances? Maybe the problem that's just stirring in you is a financial crisis and you've just been weighing heavy. I know, more money, more problems. It weighs heavy on all of us. What do you actually want? What does freedom actually look like? What does rebuilding actually look like? Maybe we have to spend more time trying to think of what can be and spend less time thinking about what currently is. As we think about the problems in our life, I know it can be hard, you almost feel stuck, but that's why Nehemiah spent four months. What do I want? What do you want? Can you answer that problem? Nehemiah, verse six. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will the journey take? And when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. He asks, what do you want? He answers, what does he want? He says, this is what I want. I want to rebuild. And then the king follows up with a question. He says, well, how long is it going to take? What are you going to do? When do, you, when do you need to go? How long is it going to take? And then it says in verse 7, I also said to him, he gave him an answer, and then he says, verse 7, if it pleases the king, may I have a letter to the governor of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct when I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Aspha, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city walls and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my request. You know what this sounds like? It sounds like he was really prepared. It sounds like he had a plan as he went into this conversation. It wasn't just, man, I really hope something good happens right now. No, he came in, he knew what he wanted. And then he knew the details of what he needed. He knew the details of the spots he was gonna go. He knew the names of the people he was gonna have conversations with. He knew where he needed to get timber from. He knew how to get safe passage. He knew the things to ask about and ask for. This is called being 
prepared. In those moments that you're not sure if anything's happening, what are you preparing for? What are you preparing in your heart? What are you preparing in your character? What are you preparing in your mind? What are you preparing for? What are you preparing to do? See, four months can be a long time to deflate your plans, and it can almost feel like, oh, four months has passed, nothing has happened, my problem's still there, I just give up, I'm gonna put it back in the junk drawer. No, we're preparing. We're preparing in the moments that nothing is happening. I've been playing chess, I watched the show uh, Queen's Gambit on Netflix, maybe some of you know it, and I just started playing chess, and I have a chess app, and I love it. Every night, commit 30 minutes to playing chess. I heard it's really good for the brain, so I'm like, eh, cool, I'll do it. So I've been playing chess every single night. My app tells me all the time, I play a game, and I'm not really good, so don't ask me to play chess. I know some of you are still gonna ask me, don't ask me, I'm not good at all. My app tells me how many blunders, how many missed opportunities I've made, and how many complete mistakes I've had in the game. It tells me over and over and over, you should have did this. And you know why? It's because I miss a lot of opportunities. If the opportunity presents itself, I don't know when to get a checkmate. If the opportunity presents itself, I don't know when to make the final move because I don't plan as if the opportunity is ever gonna come. I just make a move in that moment. Question for you, if the opportunity presented itself, if the opportunity presented itself, to fix the problem, if an opportunity presented itself for you to step into the dream, to step into the story, to step into the, the solution, would you even know that it's there? Would you even know how to seize an opportunity? Would you even know what an opportunity actually looked like? You see, the second principle I wanna give you today is that you need to study the problem and plan for the opportunities. You need to study the problem and plan for the opportunities. I have a friend that always tells me, don't gotta get ready if you stay ready. When it comes to the problems you and I walk through, there's so many moments that I think that we completely miss. I would even say there's so many God moments that we miss because we did not come ready. We did not come ready to see if there was gonna be an opportunity available. Have you dreamed about what those opportunities are gonna be? Here's what I know to be true about dreams and plans and problems, is that dreams without plans can quickly become nightmares. And I know this because I've tried to put an Ikea furniture set together without any instructions. It always seems like a really good idea. It always seems like things just got to get screwed in, just got to put this bolt. But at the end of it all, you're like, this is not what I planned. This is not the vision I had. It's because I didn't look at the instructions. What plans do is keep our heart and head looking for an opening, looking for an opportunity. And when I say opportunity, I'm not talking about an immediate solution. Many of us are looking for immediate solutions. When I play chess, I was looking for an immediate solution. But no, we're looking for opportunity. When we say opportunity, we're saying to take one more step opportunity. When it comes to rebuilding, I think it's always going to take a little longer than we think. Because the problems that you and I face aren't a hammer and a nail solution. The problems that you and I face are about healing. They're about us coming to terms with who we are and where we want to be. It's about looking at the story of our life and not being satisfied and really considering what is actually next. They're not quick fixes. They're long hauls. And I would even say they're long obediences in the same direction. My wife, she was a dispatcher for her father, my father-in-law, and he used to drive trucks across the nation. And I think about if she just let him just drive in any direction he wanted, he would never make cash. He would just drive and drive and drive, burn up all that fuel. No, her role was to get him there as quickly and efficiently as possible. But if you're going on a long haul, you need to make plans to get to your destination as quickly and efficiently as possible. Young adults, can I ask you a question? Is what is your preferred future and what is the quickest way to get there?
hey, if you've been married for a while and you want to restore your relationship in some way, what's the best way to get there? What's your preferred future and what's the quickest way to get there? If you're a high school student right now, you may be thinking to yourself, ah, none of this applies to me. Hey, you may have a future. You may have a vision for what your life is going to be. What's the plan to get there? And what's the preferred, what's the preferred future? And what's the quickest way to get there? Oftentimes, it's not going to be quick fixes. It's going to be a long obedience in the same direction. Rebuilding doesn't happen with just a hammer. It really is about your heart and your scheduling and you looking for opportunities. So we skip down a little bit because Nehemiah gets the blessing. He gets the favor. God speaks through the Persian king Artaxerxes and now he has an opportunity to actually go. So Nehemiah 2, 11 to 16, we see Nehemiah is actually going. He's beginning the process of rebuilding. So what does he see? He went to Jerusalem. Now he's finally going. And after staying there three days, Nehemiah set out during the night with a few others. Now check this out. I had not told anyone what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal wall and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. So he's going, he's looking at the gates. He hadn't told anybody what he was doing. He's looking at the gates, he's taking notes, he's examining the walls. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was going to do because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. He had not said anything to nobody besides the king. Why? Because when you go public with your plans, you will face opposition. We're going to talk more about opposition next week, and you're going to want to be here for that conversation because we all know that everybody else has a different plan and a version of our life, and we may not be living out that version that they want us to live out. That is so why four months of planning is so important. That is why we're not just giving it a rebuilding sprint, we're giving it a rebuilding year. It's because we have to be thoughtful with our plans before we go public. Not everybody's going to have the same vision for your life as you do. Not everyone will agree with the same plans that you do. You may even have a competing vision than God has for your life. And so you got to have time to sort that out. And that's why it's so important that we follow in Nehemiah's footsteps and we really get good at assessing the situation. What Nehemiah did, he didn't tell anybody. He went around, he looked at the walls, he examined, he'd take notes. And even at one point that I didn't read, it says he went through a part of the wall. He moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool. And there was not enough room for his mount, his horse to get through. So he had to change directions and examine a different part of the wall. Meaning Nehemiah went to the wall not knowing what to expect. He heard about the stories. He knew what had happened, but he didn't know what it was going to look like. So he spent three days looking at the wall, making notes. He had a plan, didn't work out, couldn't go one direction. So we went another direction and he was taking notes. He was examining the wall the whole time. Principle number three that I want to give you today as we go about a rebuilding and planning well for the future. You have to work the plan and you got to hold it loosely. We have to work the plan and hold it loosely. Nehemiah was so thoughtful about examining the walls, but he held it loosely because sometimes plans are going to shift and they're going to change. And when plans shift and change, I don't want you to be in the point where you're like, ah, just, just didn't work. Guess I got to change plans. Guess I got to go backwards. Guess I got to hit the drawing board again. No, we got to hold our plans loosely. Some of us, they love planning. We love knowing every detail on every bit. But if one of those details doesn't fit, what do you do when those details don't fit? We work the plan. We hold the plan loosely because the goal is not to follow the plan. The goal is to follow the vision that God has put on your life. The vision, that's why having a vision is so important. It's because you know that your relationship is supposed to be going in a better direction. And a hiccup may have happened. 
Yet that doesn't mean it's the end of the road. You know that God has put this dream on your life to pursue something that's a legitimate concern and to bring it into the realm of personal responsibility. However, you had a hiccup along the road. No, that's why we hold our plans loosely because hiccups are going to happen. But if we're holding our plans so tightly and we're like, God, here's my plans, do this, we're going to lose the opportunities that God actually sets in front of us. Loose plans leaves room for you to do what is required rather than what you wanted. And finally, so after examining the walls, after looking out at all the rubble, after looking at the gates being burned down, the walls being torn down, after three days of not saying anything, after four months of planning, after standing before the king, trembling and afraid and sad, just brokenhearted, we finally get to this point, after all the planning and praying and assessing and studying, Nehemiah finally goes public with his plan. Then I said to them, and when he says them, it means the people he came with, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, I love this, let us start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. They began this good work work. If there's anything you remember from today, this is the one thing I want you to hold on to. The one principle is be really selective with who you invite into the problem. Be really selective with who you invite to be in part of the solution to the problem. The reason being is I'd argue is that many of our successes or the outcomes of us pursuing and trying to fix this problem are going to be connected to who you decide to bring into the problem. So be wise with it. Slow down. Nehemiah took four months. He took time. He looked around. He looked at, he assessed the walls. He planned his vision. He knew what he wanted. He didn't let anybody else change his course. He went between him and God and he talked to the king and he made mental notes and he knew what he wanted. He knew what God had placed on his life. And it's important for us to bring people in. But also I want you to know that not everybody is always going to understand everything about what God is doing in your life. It's important for us to have community. It's important for us to have people around us who can speak in words of wisdom and love and guidance into us. It's so important that we do life and do faith together. But let's be wise because not everybody needs to know about everything. Do you get what I'm saying? I mean like Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. They're fantastic because they've helped us really express ourselves and get connected on a whole nother level. But I would say that they are terrible echo chambers for addressing our problems in our life. I would argue that they're not the place for best advice. They are not the best place for strong direction. And so me and my wife, just to give you a little example, we've decided early on before we were even married is that we would be ultra selective with who we allow to speak into our relationship in good times and in bad times. Me and my wife, I love my wife. I love our relationship, but there's going to be moments where me and her aren't seeing eye to eye. And there are some people in her life that absolutely love her. She can do no wrong. And there's people I have in my life who absolutely love me and I can do no wrong. And no matter what I say, no matter what she does, no matter what I do, no matter what the situation is, we know, we know that they are going to love us. And we all need people like that. You need friends like that who are going to have your back no matter what. But as we move forward towards the vision that God has put in our life, we want a home that has kids that want to be present. 
We want a future where we love each other, not just now, but later on. We want to enjoy every single moment, the good times and the bad times. We want healthy relationships and we want a family that is stable and rooted in Jesus. And we know, we know that's not always going to be the case for all of our friends who want that same vision. We know they're going to love me. They're going to love her. And that's why it's so important that we have found couples and friends who are going to push us closer together no matter what the circumstance is. We confide in people who push us together no matter the circumstance we're walking through. Be selective with who you invite into the problem. That principle will save a lot of your relationships. They'll save a lot of your marriages. They'll save a lot of your friendships. And I would even say they will help you pour your energy into the things that actually matter most. Everybody in your life has a different vision for your life. That's not a bad thing, but what the most beautiful thing is is that we have a God who we can always hand our vision, hand our plans, hand our worries, hand our legitimate concerns and personal responsibilities over to. If I can just circle back for just a moment, as we talk about planning, I know there can be a lot of anxiety that's created about it because some of us, we don't need something else to do. You feel like the snow globe has just been shaken up and you have to deal with it and now you have to go home and come up with all these plans on how to fix your life. I get that stress. I'm like that too. Like I said at the very beginning, I feel like sometimes I have ADD. I, I love just to work on so many different projects at once. And I can get there's so much worry about that. You're not enough. You didn't do enough. And there's some of us on the other side that are just ready to take life by the horns and write our plans down and figure it all out today. And you want to have the conversations today. And you want to figure it all out right now. I get that. To both of you, I have just the same encouragement. We have to get really better at surrendering everything to God. You see, God's not a penciled-in item. God is the author of our calendars. God doesn't want us just to work harder. He wants us to cast all our anxieties and worries and cares on Jesus. You see, Jesus had a vision for this world, and that all people would know his love. All people would be reconciled to him. All people would be able to leave everything, their anxieties, their plans, their worries, their doubts, their fears, at the foot of the cross. He says, come to me. The thing I would encourage all of us to do today is let's, Let's, before we even begin planning, let's surrender. Let's surrender our hearts. Let's surrender our minds. Let's surrender our plans. Let's surrender our problems to the God who loves us, to the God who sent Jesus to die on the cross and rise again, to the God who did not let death hold him down, but rose again three days later and is showing us that there is a life that is happening right now, but there's also a life beyond belief, a life beyond life and a life right now that we are living and that future is always possible with God. There's a future that, that's always possible with Jesus. He wants our plans. He wants your life. He wants you. And truthfully, he wants to help you write something that is even bigger and better than you can ever imagine. So church, today, if you're struggling with any anxiety or any worry about like, can God work again? Are these plans even gonna work? Are these plans even good plans? Let's start by bringing them to Jesus. Right now, I wanna pray. I wanna pray some words over you. And if you are somebody who is, is struggling with your planning game because you're holding it too tightly or because you don't even know where to start, I wanna pray for you specifically. So would you join me as we close out today? Father, you are a God who sees us, God who knows us, you know our hearts, our minds, our souls, you know everything going on, you know the anxieties, you know the struggles, God. And even though you know it all, you still choose to come close to us, God. And may we just sit in that 
May we sit in that reality is that you love us so much that nothing can keep you from us. You always want to be near us. You always want to see us, God. You always want to know what's going on in our life. God, and with that truth ringing so clear in our ear, God, may we just open up our hands and give you our plans. May we open up our hands and give you our plans, God. Those things that we may be struggling with, those problems that we may be having, God, may we just hand it over to you. And may you do as you did with Nehemiah. God, and give us dreams of what could be. Give us dreams of what should be. God, will also give us peace that you're going to lead it all. Thank you, God, for how you love us. And we lift us up in your son's holy name and all God's people said, amen. We hope you enjoy the Active Church podcast. If you want to know more about Active Church, you can follow us on our social media platforms at Active Churches. Don't forget to subscribe as well to stay connected to future podcasts. And if you are a local to the Ukaipa area, we would love for you to experience the room with us. Sunday services are 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. in Ukaipa. See you next time.